the how-to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com forward slash courses discount for this week is ULOCT 232023. And it is good until this Monday, October 30th. Irene Weiramu Gakwa was a 32-year-old from Gillette, Wyoming. She was originally from Kenya and had a large family. On February 24th, 2022, Irene's boyfriend, Nathan, claimed she left him by putting clothes in a couple plastic bags and getting into a vehicle with someone. She was never seen again. I'm a Denzel, and this is Unfound. I'm not sure even I can fully understand how many lives have been cut short by disappearances. Yes, I realize that a very small percentage of the people featured on Unfound may actually still be alive. However, we must face the facts that at least 98% of the featured people are no longer with us, whether through their own choices or by the violent acts of others. And we wonder, what would have happened had Zoe Campos never met Carlos Rodriguez? What if Esther Westenbarger had taken the correct road home that night? What could have Bowman continued to have done helping addicts had he not died in that alleyway? All the people on Flight 370, imagine the joy they could have continued to bring to others. Yet, on this timeline on which we live, we might call it the sacred timeline, if you're watching Loki on Disney+. Plus. In our reality, these people and hundreds of thousands of others disappeared, never to be seen again, never to have interactions with their loved ones again, never to fulfill their potentials again and again and again. Well, for Irene Gakwa, she came to the United States with her entire future ahead of her. Then Irene disappeared before she could fulfill her great expectations. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Linez's website, charlieproject.org. Irene Gakwa came to the United States from Kenya, where she had been raised in a great family and got an excellent education. But Irene was not the first child to move here. She arrived and lived with siblings in, of all places, Idaho. Talk about culture and weather shock. But Irene prospered and put herself on the path to become a nurse. Not long after Irene arrived in 2019, she met Nathan Heitman online, and they became a couple. Although Irene's family did not think much of him, they trusted Irene to make good decisions about everything in her life. In retrospect, they might not have completely understood what situation Irene had created for herself. So, on February 24th, 2022, Nathan's story is that Irene decided to leave him. 
She took a couple garbage bags, threw clothes in them, and left, getting into a vehicle with an unknown person. Nathan claims he believed she'd return eventually, given that she left so much at their place. But Irene didn't. Nathan took action by taking money from her bank account so as to get Irene's attention, wherever she was. This did not work. She was never seen again. Eventually, Nathan was charged and convicted of multiple financial crimes involving Irene's money and credit. However, his story about Irene leaving him has not changed. As a 53-year-old single straight guy, even though I do this job and hear these scenarios over and over, I continue to be astounded by great women who get caught up with bad guys. Contemplate at what point females become susceptible to this as you also try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, when not in the company of Nathan, why did Irene not tell her family she really wasn't in Arizona? Number two, why didn't Irene leave Nathan after the $9,000 charge on his card that he tried to pin on her? And number three, if Nathan is the cause of Irene's disappearance, why didn't he come up with a more believable story? Irene's family has no doubt Nathan caused her disappearance. The guests for this episode are local Gillette, Wyoming journalist Jennifer Coker and independent investigator and friend of the Gakwa family, Stacy Kester. Unfound News. For Patreon and YouTube supporters, the next episode of Found will be out this weekend. I examine from disappearance to discovery the unique case of Lori Ruff, a.k.a. Kimberly McLean. How exactly did she get away with it for over 20 years? Next, for everyone... The newest Unfound Now will be coming out on Unfound's YouTube channel. Who will the recently missing person be? Tune in to find out. Finally, believe it or not, I'm heading back to Colorado again. And yes, due to Steve Pankey, again. This time for a TV production. More details will be forthcoming throughout November. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, Jennifer Coker. Jennifer, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, Ed. Happy to be here. Uh, Before we get started, uh, it should be known, Jennifer did not uh, actually know Irene, uh, but she got involved uh, after Irene went missing. And then later in this interview, we'll get into specifically how Jennifer got involved Jennifer, right now, why don't you just uh, give the listeners a little background about yourself so you're not a total stranger to them. Okay. Well, I am an independent journalist, and I live in northeast Wyoming. Long story of how I got there, but suffice it to say, I've been doing this for about 12 years. Um, And I have a particular interest in missing people in crime, and I think I, I was raised on Dateline and just obsessed with it, ah. so it was a natural fit. 
What do you, uh, so independent, do you, any um, websites or media sites, publications that you've worked for, if people wanted to check out, you know, any of your other work, uh, where would people go? Primarily right now I'm writing for an outlet called Wyoming Truth, and this is, I've reported all of the Irene stories for them, and I also work for Cowboy State Daily. Okay, very good. Have you ever uh, worked on any disappearances before? Reported, yes. report, maybe, we, uh, let's just say reported on them. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I've got, actually, I've got about five or six currently in the works I'm following. Mm -hmm. um, I, not, I, didn't, I haven't dug in quite as deep as I did in Irene's story to the others, but uh, mm -hmm. it's still kind of in the early stages of that. I have, um, I work closely with a Facebook group, and it's now a nonprofit called Missing People of Wyoming. So we, we kind of work hand-in-hand hand together on missing person cases. Interesting. Very good. Um, I know Unfound has visited Wyoming at least once. Uh, off the top of my head, I know we covered the disappearance of Renee Yergain some years ago. I'm going to go back maybe to oh, yeah. 2019. That's an episode. Um, uh, uh, I, th I think the guest was her brother was the guest back then. So it seems like yesterday, but it's been like four years ago. Oh, and okay. then, is that, one I'm covering? is that one? Yep, that's yeah, one. Yeah, uh, we covered that one like about four years ago. And then another one, although it did not uh, happen in Wyoming, he was a Wyoming resident. That would be Chance Engelbert, and yeah. his uh, mother was the guest. Now that's more recently, maybe within the last three years. So we've yeah, kind right. of uh, gone to Wyoming. Of course, not a lot of people live in Wyoming. So uh, it's not like Texas or Florida where I live. So very, it's very interesting. Let's good. Uh, thank you for your work, Jennifer. Uh, do you have a uh, a background like um, education in journalism, or how did you end up uh, doing this in contrast to anything else you could have done with your life? Right. Yeah. I actually my undergraduate degree is in journalism, um, mm. and I didn't do anything with it after I graduated. Um, I was really turned off by it after I was, one of my <laughs> assignments was covering city council. And huh. To this day, I just hate covering any kind of civic organizations or politics. Wow. Um, so that kind of turned me off. Um, and then I went and did a couple other things after I graduated from college mm -hmm. uh, from Miami of Ohio. And I went to graduate school for creative writing. Uh -huh. And I ended up, I liked this so much, couldn't figure out what to do, so I did another degree in creative nonfiction. And so okay. I was teaching for a while, and I realized I have zero talent for plot, which is heartbreaking. <laughs> so covering other people's stories was a perfect fit. Okay. And, and I also work as a ghostwriter, too, I should say. So I, mm -hmm. I again, covering other people's stories, so I don't oh, have to right. come up with plots. Right. Uh, what we're saying here, I guess you're doing a lot of typing these days. Lots, exactly. lots of typing. I know exactly. that. I know that feeling myself. That's very interesting. Okay. All right. So journalism major, and eventually I went to Miami of Ohio. I know Miami of Ohio because Ben Roethlisberger, Steelers, former Steelers quarterback, went there. And then uh, you found your way to Wyoming of all places. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um. Let's now, all right, so we know uh, your background, do, uh, journalism, 
there in Wyoming, just maybe, dare I say, like, kind of coincidentally right in the same area where Irene went missing from in, in Wyoming, correct? Like, same area? Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right, so I'll ask you this. Do you remember the first time, and we'll get into uh, how you got into your work a little later, but do you remember the first time you ever heard about Irene's disappearance? Yeah, it was right before 4th of July in 2022, and I happened upon a Facebook page, and I, I can't remember if it was just the, the local Gillette Ranson Raves, I think every town has those, mm -hmm. um, and I, I saw that they were doing an on-ground search, and at this point I'd covered several missing person cases for the past couple of years, but never one in my town. And okay. certainly, I've never been on an actual search. So mm -hmm. I showed up, and I was so intrigued by the people who had were putting on the search. Uh, they had never met Irene, like myself. And mm -hmm. they, the family, Irene's family, happened to be there also for the search. And I think it was Fourth of July weekend. And so I, I thought, I mean, you, you know, usually when you cover these things, you just go interview the people, and then mm -hmm. you get out of there. Right. Yeah. Um, but this time, I decided to go with them. And I, I just searched for several hours, and it was in Wyoming. Searching is, in, I mean, it's a, it's a big place. And so we were walking through these high weeds along uh, old high, uh, former highways that have since been turned into mine property. Mm -hmm. But we were uh, just searching, and after talking to the family and talking to this committed group of strangers who were out there searching, and I, I mean not just for these public searches, they were going out after work and on weekends by themselves just looking for her. And mm. I, I'd never met people who did that, who put in time for a stranger. And so the whole thing intrigued me. And then after that first search, I've been on everyone since. Okay. All right, so you remember, so when you found out about her disappearance, this was like, was that from the, a publication you were working for or did you say like on a website or Facebook page, yeah, something I, like that? Yeah, I saw it on social media, and I just pitched the story to my editor and said, hey, I'll go on the search, and, and I got to go ahead. So I, I wrote about it also. Okay, very and good. And that was my five, my first time actually physically searching, because up until then I had just mm. you know interviewed friends and family mm. and police, but I never actually got on the ground. Okay, excellent. Let's talk, uh, reminding everybody you did not know Irene uh, personally, and we also have to remember Irene's disappearance is, at least in Unfound's world, uh, very, 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 very new. Because the age of an, a average age of a disappearance we cover on this podcast is like 22 years old. This disappearance uh, is like a year and three months, four months, uh, something like that. So keeping that in mind, uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit what you've learned about Irene being that I know that you've gotten to speak to your uh, her family of course you've done your own work uh, finding out more about her, her living situation her being from Kenya etc why don't you go through what you've learned uh, about Irene yeah I just talking to people who knew her first of all I have to say a lot of people didn't know her she was very quiet and stuck to herself but she did work as a home health aide, and she also, and, and a couple other part-time jobs, like mm -hmm. I think one was FedEx, and she also was a nursing, nursing student at the Gillette College. So she stayed busy, and the people who knew her, everybody said how nice she was. 
um, and just nice, quiet, just very giving and a really hard worker. Um, I talked to one of her coworkers from Meridian, Idaho, where she lived before she moved to Gillette, and he said she was the kind of worker who would show up, and if stuff wasn't done from the night, and again, she was doing the home health aid, which is the hardest work on the planet, yeah. but she did it cheerfully. Um, and she would show up, and if something wasn't done, she would just do it good-naturedly. And, and one, once her coworker said, don't you get angry that people didn't do your job? And she said, no, it, it's my job to do the work. So just very congenial, quiet, and other people said she loved to sleep. She was like, <laughs> sleep in. Okay, all right. <laughs> and she, and she, she was a homebody. She loved being home, loved spending time with her friends and family, but not, mm. a, not a person to go out to bars and that kind of stuff. Just a, a quiet, very introverted, kind person. And she was from Kenya. How long had she been in the United States before she went missing? She moved here in 2019, and she, I think she was 29 when she moved here. And up until that mm. point, she had lived at home, and she was working in the tourism industry. Okay. And she wanted to come. Her brothers had come over, both of them, when they were in 18 and for college. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of wanted to see what they were doing and live with them and live away and on her own for a while. So when she first moved here, she moved to Meridian, Idaho, which actually has quite a the Kenyan community. Huh. So I, yeah, I, I met some of the, the people from that community. They came with the family for the searches or for the, the search they were on. Um, and so she moved there and she lived with both brothers temporarily. And then she got an apartment with a friend and she was going to nursing school and doing the home health aid stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she, yeah. So she, yeah, she was 2019. All right, and she, uh, just uh, for anybody that maybe doesn't totally understand this, she could uh, speak English before moving here. She, she had no problems with the language, communicating with anybody. Of course, the culture would be new to her, but she could communicate. Unlike, for example, me going to Mexico, I don't speak Spanish, something like that. Yeah, she actually, all the children, they, they come from an affluent family in Kenya, and okay. they all went to a private boarding school, and yeah. they were bilingual. Okay. It's interesting you say that, uh, bringing up uh, her going to Idaho. I don't know how many people was suspected that Idaho, uh, you know, when you think about the climate, is like the exact opposite of Kenya, that they would uh, move there. That's interesting. Uh, any insight into that? You know, I, that's a good question. I, I can't say. I've never asked that mm. question. Um, I, believe, I know the brothers moved for college specifically, Mm -hmm. And they're both in healthcare. One's a pharmacist, and one is a um, physician's assistant in okay. clinical psychology. So I don't know if they moved for that particular college, or mm -hmm. maybe it was that community in particular with the Kenyan population. I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, and this will uh, come into play a little bit later. Uh, did she ever, once she moved here, did she ever go back to Kenya to see her, I guess, maybe her parents who still lived there? Or how much did she stay in contact with them? How did, how did she keep in contact with the rest of her family who wasn't here? Um, they, she did visit, I, I can't say how many times, I know she, she did go back and visit her family. Mm -hmm. um, and they talked near daily on WhatsApp. Um, right. So they, they did video calls, I think, almost daily, almost daily. with her parents. Yeah, they, they were very close. Okay. 
And remind, remembering, though, that when she first moved here, she was living with her siblings or at least a brother, someone like that. Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're both, one's married and one has, they live together. Um, mm. So she had families and she was close to the wife and girlfriend. Okay. And uh, she, so she was, uh, this is a situation, she wasn't like 17 moving, she was already 29 moving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that would hurt. I know her dad wasn't happy about her coming, but the brothers convinced uh, their father to allow her to come to, uh, so she could live independently and, right. you know, finish school. Right. Okay. Because I have a friend of mine here in uh, the Clearwater area uh, where I live, and she is originally from Cameroon, which is, of course, also in ah. Africa. And um, I knew she was much younger than 29, I think, when she moved her. She actually moved her by herself. So when you say uh, Irene was 29, I was thinking, wow, that's quote-unquote old. <laughs> you know what I mean? For somebody maybe yeah. moving to, to uh, the United States for the first time. Okay, thank you for that. All right, so she moved to the United States uh, looking for maybe a little bit independence. Of course, she already had family here that she could live with. It wasn't like she was the only person moving here not knowing anybody, uh, which I think would be uh, you know, a daunting task. And she's living with her family and everything is going decently well as far as you can tell. That's what was going on. Yeah, uh, very tight knit family, they would have dinners frequently and, and you know, talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And so let's move on to now this, which we and I have in the outline. And just like as listeners know, we use outlines for every interview that we do uh, for the podcast so we can keep things nice in order. And so I don't forget anything. When did, uh, let's just talk in general right now about a guy's name is Jay, uh, Nathan Heitman, just in general terms, what do we know about his background before he and Irene ever met? What have you learned about his background and in reporting like you have about Irene's disappearance? Just, you know, his, his uh, resume before that. Okay. He, he grew up, he's from Oroville, California area, and he, he also lived in Chico. And I'm, I'm not sure how close they are, but I believe that's the same mm, area. Yeah. Um, so he, he grew up there. Um, he is a tech, always uh, very affiliated with tech. Um, he, as a child, I guess, as I talked to a, his half-sister, and she said that he was always on his computer, and he would be forced to go outside and play. So he's kind of that kind of kid. And mm -hmm. then he grew up and stayed affiliated with the tech industry, and I think he worked as... <laughs> there's a couple different things here. He... Uh, his reality and what he told people definitely did not line up from the people I talked to. Uh, for example, he, he worked as, you know, just a tech support person, mm -hmm. but he told one of his coworkers um, that he actually didn't need to work because he was an international financier and was just working for kicks. So he didn't get bored. So he's kind of that kind of guy. And he had, he fashioned himself as a wannabe James Bond um, and he would tell her, you, you know, he was involved in hacking, international hacking, and, and had high positions, you know, in espionage type stuff. But none of that is actually accurate to my knowledge. Okay. Um, so he, so after Idaho, he lived in, I think his, his dad and stepmother live in Utah, 
and it looks like he spent a little time there with them. Um, he also lived in Virginia, and on his resume, he said he went to college at Vir University of Virginia. Um, I, I called all of the University of Virginia mm -hmm. campuses, and it, he did not attend. And in fact, in court later, he, he admitted to the judge that he did not have a college degree. So he was basically lying on his resume, which maybe okay. people do. Oh, uh, yeah, they um, do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Being that he's talking about being in international espionage, yeah, I would think probably he would have a, probably lie about his re his education as well. That would make sense. Yeah, exactly. It does make sense. Okay. So he ended up in Idaho. I have no idea what took him there, but he, he again mm. was working as a, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember, it was a tech company doing the same thing, okay. answering phones and questions. All right. Uh, in, in that field of work, was he a, a capable capable guy, or do we know? Yeah, I believe he was. He was. Okay. Yeah. In, in fact, when he moved to Gillette, he was doing the same type of work for DirecTV. So, from all accounts, he was very capable. Okay. Have you ever found anything in his background before he met Irene? Anything of a criminal nature? Of course, I guess lying on your resume can get you in trouble. But anything, uh, felonies, drinking and driving, anything like that? No, nothing. He had some traffic violations, and that was about it, from Virginia and California. Um, mm. Nothing else. Okay. He did have, uh, he, he did, his mother was murdered <gasps> um, when, he, wow. when he was younger, in his young 20s. And she was murdered by her second husband, who she had actually married twice. Um, and he, he sounds uh, pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he tried to get an insanity plea. But he wasn't at the house, but his two half-brothers were. Wow. So that happened when I believe he was just in his young 20s. So, you know, obviously that's got an impact on a person. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, and how old was he when he and Irene met? I guess somewhere around 2020. How old? How She's uh, 29 when she comes to the United States, so maybe she's 30 when they meet. How old is he? Um, he is, he must have been around 32. Right, he was so, 33 when she went missing, and then he's 34 now. Okay, so close in age. Pretty close yeah, in age. Yeah, close in age. All right, so you have this yeah. guy, uh, kind of, uh, what was that, Walter Mitty type of guy, uh, regular job but dreaming of... Uh, high finance and being James Bond and everything, but um, seemingly a capable person, has a job, uh, making money. Kind of sounds to me like he moved around quite a bit, um, but I'm not sure what to make of that. And somehow, one way or the other, he ends up in Gillette, Wyoming, somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah. nobody knows that question, the answer to that question, what brought them there. And mm -hmm. we can we can talk kind of about what Irene told her family. Yeah, we're going to do that. Um, right. Yeah, we'll get that later. But um, I, nobody knows. Okay. All I, right. I, all, I can tell you, all I can tell you about that is uh, one of his former friends said that she talked to Irene and Nathan right before they moved mm -hmm. from Idaho. Okay. And he, Nathan and Irene were showing pictures of the house that Nathan had just purchased. And he, she, he was saying it was in a gated community, but of course, because he lies, it, it wasn't. It was, it was just a regular modular house. Um, but it, the, that's the only thing that any.
anybody can figure is that he was able to buy a house and convinced her that it, it was the house of her dreams. Okay. All right, so he's consistently, uh, he has a hard time with the truth. Correct. The truth is a struggle for him. And, Correct. And we should mention maybe one more thing about him uh, that maybe could play a role in his disappearance. He is not a small man, is he? He is not a small man. Um, and according to the, his prison record, or it is when you find an inmate locator, mm. they have all his vital stats. Yeah. And he, I think he's 5'10", 330 pounds. Yeah, okay. And we have compared to remember, to, yeah, compared to yeah. Irene, who is your very, what I would call, very typical, what I think of Kenyan women, very skinny, kind of tall and skinny. Uh, yeah, Kenny. very skinny. She was under 90, or sorry, under 100 pounds. Yeah, right. Okay, so everybody keep that in mind. Let's move in uh, on to this. How did, now, um, if they understand, Irene and Nathan met after she moved to the United States. This was not a situation where they met online. She's in Kenya, he's in the United States, and then she moves here. Uh, unlike a uh, recent disappearance that I talked about with the Fang Jin, who is still missing in California very, very recently, where she moved from China to the United States to meet a guy from California, and they both went missing. He's been found deceased. This is not that she's still missing. This is not that situation. She was already in the United States when she met Nathan for the first time, correct? Correct. All right. So they meet somehow through this Craigslist ad, and they eventually become a couple, but Irene is not being very open uh, about that. Any insight into why that is? In talking to Irene's father, um, he had said to me he wouldn't have cut made the cut with him, uh, meaning Nathan wouldn't have made the cut. Um, did not get into details of why that was, mm -hmm. but I assume that she thought her parents would not approve. That's just my son. That's my son, Nathan. I have no mm -hmm. idea if that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, being that uh, sometimes father have uh, fathers have that kind of little intuition or something. Of course, always. Kids are very educated, and uh, you know Nathan, as we've just said, uh, lying about some of his background and, and everything. Maybe that's what the maybe that's what the father meant. I mean, um, you know, a lot of parents have high standards for the people that their children are going to date and marry, and then some other exactly. parents don't care at all. Obviously, this father sounds like he cares quite a bit. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, all right, and so these two uh, end up being a couple, and they met technically, though, in Idaho, right? They met in Idaho. Yeah, they met in Idaho and moved to Gillette in, I think it was July 2021. So I think they've been mm. together roughly a year before they moved. Okay. So how much interaction have you been able to tell did her siblings, who already lived in the United States in Idaho, did they have a lot of interaction with Nathan? Did they go on it like any double dates? What do we know about they, that? Yeah, they had. Um, they did have interaction with Nathan while they were all in Idaho, and he uh, he came over. They they went to each other's houses for dinner a handful of times, and when mm. they went to Nathan's, they kind of had to browbeat him into <laughs> inviting them over. And mm. and Nathan said, "Yeah, I'll invite you over, but I don't have furniture." He didn't have a couch, TV, that's like the normal kind of furnishings people have, mm -hmm. but instead had like a big 
gaming. He's a gamer. So he had a big gaming chair and computer in his living room. So that was kind of his furniture. Um, but they, Nathan right away started to really want a serious relationship with Irene. And he, he had been communicating with Kennedy, who's the oldest brother, about, you know, he said he wanted to give her a ring. It was a promise ring. It's not clear to this day whether they're actually engaged. I know in the uh, in the police report okay. uh, they refer to Nathan as a fiance. I have right. no idea if that's accurate, but um, he he had talked about giving her a promise ring and went back and forth with the brothers about the proper way to do so. And the brothers Kennedy in particular um, cautioned him to slow down to get to know her better before he did give her that ring. And yeah. there there was back and forth with them, and eventually the communication just stopped. Okay. Do you, at any time, do, in talking to the family, I guess we already know what the father thinks, but the people who are actually living here in the United States and Idaho, did they ever try to talk Irene out of uh, continuing this relationship with Nathan? It, not to my knowledge. I think they were, you know, respectful of her, her and her tastes. You know, they wanted her to be independent and live her own life. But I do know they weren't fond of Nathan, right? From the onset, they thought he was kind of controlling um, they just got a bad feeling from him overall. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, they were initially liked him a lot, okay. but they wanted to respect their sister's interests. Okay. In doing the work that you've done since she, uh, since she went missing, talking to her uh, family, talking maybe to her coworkers, friends, did they ever see any signs of abuse? Uh, that Irene yeah. suffered at the hands of Nathan. Any bruises, any, you know, as we know, abuse. Oh, I walked into the door, I fell down the stairs. Anything like that that they ever talked, any notice, anything like that? No, nobody I've talked to has, has mentioned that. Okay. Um, other than he, he was very controlling. Yeah. You know, he, he obviously had a heavy hand on her comings and goings. Okay. Did you ever talk to, have you ever talked to anybody who Irene uh, complained about anything like this? He won't let me do this. He won't let me do that. Anything like that? No. I think she really, the, the friends that I've talked to, um, and that's actually, I've only talked to her one close friend from Kenya. They were, they went to high school together. Okay. And both moved to the U.S. But she didn't really mention him. In fact, the friend came to visit her the summer they had moved in together, and she had no idea that Irene was living with a guy, let alone dating one. So I think Nathan was a very, she's very secretive about Nathan. Okay. Huh, any insight into that? Uh, she meets this guy, she's living with him, but she seemingly doesn't want to tell anybody about him. Any, any insight into that? I, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I mean she's very secretive, um, okay. and I, I don't know if she's always been that way or if it was something about Nathan. And I, I, I talked to so many people; nobody understands the nature of their relationship okay. or why why Irene was with him. Okay. All right. So they're a couple, and then she moves out. She's living with him. Yeah, they're right. living together in the house that he purchased in Gillette. All right. But before that, they actually met in Idaho, though, right? Yes, they did. What, what was the insta? If you know, what was the reason for them to move from Idaho to Gillette, Wyoming? Which, uh, just looking at a map, is like 
on the furthest side away in Wyoming from Idaho. What was what was the the motivation there? Jobs or what? Nobody, nobody I've talked to knows. In fact, her brothers were very surprised she moved because she hated the cold. And even in Idaho, talked about moving south to warmer temperatures. Mm-hmm. And when she did move, um, the family was under the impression she had moved with a friend to Arizona, and not with Nathan to Wyoming. So she had lied to them about that. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that a little later. All right, so, but they end up in Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, she's working. You said she's going to school to be a nurse. I guess he's okay. continuing to do the job that he does. Of course, it sounds like the job that he has, you could do that anywhere. Um, yeah. All right, and um, so once again, no real red flags in the relationship from the people who are around him, them, in Gillette. Nothing that really sticks out. You, As you could, we're both adults here. We know the usually the signs that people display if relationships are going bad or abuse or anything. Nothing like mm-hmm. that. No. Okay. But there is this uh, story that's out there. I'll ask you about it. I'm sure you know about it. It has to do with this credit card claim in, uh, that Nathan said that Irene used his card... Uh, what do you know about this? This is something that popped up before she went missing, correct? Correct. Yeah, that was a very strange story. It was a fall of 2022. I'm looking at my notes. Sorry, but 2020. Okay. Um, and she, he had claimed that Irene used his credit card to purchase a uh, ticket to Kenya to visit her family, and it was just under $10,000. Um, and then he, so he called the police and the police came and questioned Irene and they, they looked on her computer and found that yes, she had searched for tickets and yes, she had purchased a ticket. Um, oddly, this doesn't make sense. I have the police report, but the, the passenger, I can't remember the name on the ticket or if the police report said, but the address that was given for the purchaser was in Seattle which makes absolutely no sense. Um, he, Nathan was able to get that credit card uh, purchase canceled. And so he didn't talk to Irene about this, mind you. So she was sleeping and he called the police. She purchased the ticket, I think it was two in the morning. She was a late night out mm-hmm. and so she was, she was sleeping in and he called the police and the police came and literally got her out of bed and questioned her. Um, he did not talk to her first, which was red flags for one of her friends who I spoke to. Um, then a month, less than a month later, three weeks later, Nathan called the police and said, oh, I lied that she did not purchase that ticket. It was actually, he thought, a co-worker who broke into his house and downloaded Team Finder or I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, Team Finder, the remote application where you can actually access somebody's yep. computer. Yes. And um, said that it was her. It made no sense. And so the district attorney threw out the case. So it was never actually, it never, it, it, it exists, it was canceled, basically. So he never went through with the charge. I um, see. Uh, I got I to gotta ask, since... <laughs> Good, good. Please say that again, please. 
Oh, I was going to say, any ideas as to why he might have done that is all speculation. Okay. Um, I spoke to, when I, in talking to her friend, who Nathan actually texted right after mm -hmm. Irene uh, had, he placed the police report, he texted her close friend and said, hey, Irene's in trouble, um, she is, might be deported because she stole from me, and that raised all kinds of red flags with the friend who thought that why wouldn't he talk to Irene about it before calling the police? And right. a couple people have since speculated, and again, it's all speculation, nobody knows why the heck he would do that. But so people have speculated that it was a control. Um, mm -hmm. He was able to kind of, you know, more of the control stuff. He was able to say, hey, I won't charge you if you stay with me. And just remind, um, I, just remind everybody again, uh, when did this happen? This happened in October 2020, or uh, I'm sorry, August 2020, and the charges mm -hmm. were dropped in September. All right, so this is well before she ever went missing. She didn't go missing until February yeah. 2022. So this is like right. a year and a half before she went missing. Yeah, and it was also, you know, almost a year before they moved to Gillette. Okay, so this happened while they're still in Idaho, and yeah. they're living together, and uh, this nine nine thousand, almost ten thousand dollar charge. Uh, I realize flying to Africa isn't like me flying to Pennsylvania from Florida, but it doesn't take $9,000 unless you're flying first class or something, right? Or what? It, yeah, and it, it, it does not. It's about a third of the price <clears throat> to travel. The, the thing that struck the friend also was the airline. This was on, was on a German airline, which is going to cost three times as much. But when, when they fly back to Kenya, you know, they take the cheapest airline they can find. Right. And in fact, the father is a pilot. Maybe they even get a discount or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a mechanic, but yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Okay, so yeah. somehow somebody managed to go onto one of these sites and find like the most expensive ticket ever to fly from the United States to Kenya. Correct. And they did it on Irene's laptop. Uh, has it ever been, I, I, you know, I think we know where this is going. Had it ever been proven that it was actually Nathan himself who did this? It, no, it hasn't. All right, but that's a suspicion, dare I say? Well, the two stories, I, I think you can kind of surmise, mm -hmm. you know, dropping the charges and having such an outlandish explanation of how, you know, a co-worker mm -hmm. broke into his house, took a picture of his credit card, and then ordered a ticket on Irene's laptop. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. Right. Okay. Um, did, how did uh, her family find out about this? Do you know? She, Nathan, yes. I, yeah, I do. Um, Nathan also, when he reached out to the friend, he also reached out to Kennedy, um, Irene's older brother and said, Hey, Irene's in trouble. You need to get in touch with her. Um, she stole from me and blah, blah, blah. And then that was the last text message exchange they had. Wow. Okay. Did Irene ever say anything to her friend, you know, anybody else? Like, you know, I think uh, Nathan set me up or anything like this when this happened. Anything like no. that? In fact, no. In fact, the friend, when this all happened, the friend spoke to Irene and said, hey, I really think you need to rethink this relationship. 
Um, and at that point, Irene just kind of iced her out. And I believe it wasn't long after that the two of those stopped commun- two of those stopped talking as well. Wow. So they stopped talking a full like year and a half before she went missing. Yeah, and I, I don't believe that she had communication with a friend again, but I'm not positive. Okay. All right, so we have this weird uh, thing going on here. Um, with this, uh, plane ticket, very expensive, uh, I'm guessing that then he didn't have to pay this charge, nobody ended up, you know, flying, you know, flying to, to Kenya or anything like that. No, he, he actually canceled the credit card charge and then, uh, had his cards replaced. Okay. All right, any other weird stories like that that you've been able to track down that happened after that? Anything regarding money, anything like that? Uh, no, that is the last one I, I, I know of personally. Um, I, I do know Stacy had talked to a person, a used car salesman, mm-hmm. and he apparently Nathan and Irene went to sell her car about a month before she went missing, and the car salesman who would not agree to be interviewed by me, um, or he spoke to the police, I believe, but Mm -hmm. he he did not want to go on the record, so I'm not saying his name. Um, But he apparently said that Nathan was just very uh, domineering, and Irene Mm -hmm. kind of stood meekly while he made all the arrangements for her car to sell. Um, Keep in mind, she went missing in February. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this would have been January. cold in Wyoming yeah and their house was about two to three miles away from the college and her work so she would have had to walk all that way in the cold so that's another factor to keep in mind okay all right any explanation from did the uh, used car salesman give any explanation as to uh, what they said about why they were getting rid of a car they have two cars and they're down down, down to one car what was the reasoning any idea? Um, he, I, I don't know that. Okay. All right. Now let's move up to February 2022. And it was this la- uh, the last contact that Irene's family had with her. Uh, what can you say about this last video call? I guess it was on February 24th. What do you know about her? Who was it with? It was with her father. And the father, in talking to her, told her she looked really tired, um, and he suggested she drink some hot milk and get some rest. And he asked her if everything was okay and if she needed any money. And they t- they spoke, and she said no. She said yes, she's fine. She needs no money. And they spoke kind of a, a, about a trip. He suggested she come home for it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. So they were talking about that, and that was the last call. Okay, just like any other call that they had had. Yeah. Nothing unusual about it at all. No, other than she looked so tired, he thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's usually energetic and perky, and, and he just thought that call, she was he was worried about her. Right. And we have to keep in mind, although we're going to get into this topic a little deeper, we have to keep in mind that everybody is thinking that she is by herself in Arizona when she's not, Right. Correct. Yeah, that was another. Yeah, so she she's talking from Arizona, or he thought he thought, but she wasn't. Yeah, she wasn't. All right. So, all right. 
So even during these calls, um, she has to keep a part of her life a secret, a, actually a large part of her life a secret, that being her location and who she's with. Exactly. Okay. Let's move on to this. When, uh, as far, best as you can tell, uh, realizing that you did not know Irene, you did not find out about uh, her, you found out about her disappearance like everybody else did, um, when did somebody realize that something wasn't right? What was the first tip-off? Uh, you know, this is maybe out of character for Irene. Haven't heard from her for a while. Anything like that. What was it? Her, her dad figured, because keep in mind, the two, you know, spoke almost every day. And if they didn't, that was rare. Um, so he didn't hear from her for a few days. And in between, they always texted and she texted in a mix between Swahili and English. And he noticed that the last set of texts were just English, which is very un-Irene. So that caught his eye. And then she, he had texted her and said, hey, can we video talk? And I believe that was on March 4th that that happened. And, she's, and whoever had her phone wrote back and said, no, I just dropped my phone in water. It doesn't work. Okay, so... Uh, the father's getting very concerned, and so he contacted the brothers, and the brothers um, eventually, it took them, I think, three weeks for them to kind of piece together the story, talk to Nathan, and figure out that they were actually in Wyoming. So he, the brothers drove out on March 20th and actually filed a police report in person. Nathan wouldn't meet with them at the time, nor would he give any of our stuff to them. All right, so this is going on, and exact. So, how did they even know that? We have to remember they thought her story was that she and Nathan were not a couple anymore, right? Yeah. So they thought she was. Her older brother Kennedy was under the impression she was living with a female roommate, and mm. and her address, physical address, says she's in Tucson. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had told me Phoenix, so I don't know if that was just. Uh, it, confusion on okay. his part or if she told him Phoenix right. um, and it was yeah, she, she was so convincing that she actually after she moved she asked her brother to send her an important document I believe it was a tax document to this address in in Arizona and he sent it and it was never returned so there was no reason for them to believe that she was not in Arizona and I'm not sure exactly how how they figured out that she was mm. with Nathan in Wyoming, so mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to that. I, I just don't know. I, I, huh. she, they might have talked to one of her friends, and but anyway, they figured out, and they they contacted Nathan, and of course he had his story. And what was his? All right, so they track him down. Of course, things aren't right. Something's going on, and they finally figure out one way or the other that no, she's not in Arizona. She's in Wyoming, and those two states aren't anywhere near each other, and Phoenix is nowhere near Gillette, Wyoming. And no. what does uh, Nathan stay, say? What is his story? His story to police, he's never talked to anybody about it, but he told police that Irene left at the end of February, and he said they, she came back from dinner, the two got in a fight, and she said she was leaving. And she packed all of her belongings in two plastic bags, and got into a, a dark-colored SUV that pulled up that he Nathan had never seen before and basically left in that in the middle of the night or late at night. Huh. 
that and, was the story. Okay. Uh, so, to be clear on something, though, she's missing. Is her phone also missing? I'm assuming. Okay. All right, so he just, did he ever give any explanation uh, about why she was telling people that she, at least she was in Arizona when she was actually in Wyoming? Did that topic ever come up? I have since asked him that, and he's never given a response. Um, he had promised to do a sit-down interview with me um, as soon as his charges. We'll talk about those. But mm -hmm. he, he said he would address that with me, but he, we haven't spoken yet. Okay. So he's, uh, and uh, what you're telling, the kind of story you're telling here, Jennifer, is a very common one we hear on Unfound. Uh, I call it the man said type of disappearance where, you know, there's a couple, and it's usually a heterosexual relationship, and the woman goes missing, and uh, the next day the guy's like, I just don't know what happened. But, and, and usually it's like, her car is there, her purse is there, her ID is there, her phone's there, her clothes there, and he's just like, I have no idea what's happened, or it's like what some story like you're telling. Jennifer, yeah, you know, my wife, she just got up one day, went out, and there was a white pickup truck out there, and she got into it, and I never saw her again. Very yeah, common, very common type of disappearance, and that's what you're uh, saying here. Yeah. Okay. Um, were the police, uh, when they found out about all this, uh, able to do anything with the day do? Do you know if... Uh, you know, what do we know about the inside story on the police's uh, interaction with Nathan? Okay, they right away um, targeted him as a person of interest in her mysterious dis disappearance. Yeah. Um, and I, they, the police are very tight-lipped about their investigation, so I do know they searched his home initially, and I don't know what was recovered, obviously, but they, they did asked the public to be on the lookout for a 55-gallon drum and also for any sightings of a silver Subaru, which coincidentally is the car that Nathan drove. Okay. Right, That's the, so that was the car that's remaining. They sold her car, whatever kind of car it was, and that's the yeah. only one they had left. That's the one they had left, yeah. And the 55-gallon drum, I haven't personally been able to confirm this with police or with the neighbor who reported this, but apparently a neighbor said she saw Nathan out in the dark one night in his backyard burning something in a barrel. All right, and so this is all into March of 2022. Police uh, put on the lookout. Uh, for these items, uh, do you know if they got access? Did Nathan give them access to the home to kind of look inside and look yeah, around? He yeah, he gave them access to the home, but he would not speak to them. So okay. they, he, he lawyered up right away. And so under the, the advice of his lawyer, he has not spoken to the police ever. Okay. And, and they noted that he was, he was uncooperative. And the, the report they made public, asking the public to be aware of any sightings of the car. Okay. And because they did say the barrel, they, they also asked for the community to be on the lookout for a barrel mm -hmm. that might be placed on an oil field or a coal mine or somewhere out in the country it shouldn't be. Okay. So they yeah. obviously vetted that, that uh, tip from the neighbor and took it seriously. Right. 
What about you? How did you, uh, of course, this all happened before you kind of got involved. When did you exactly, what date did you find out and start taking an interest in this? And I'm guessing maybe you've gone uh, a little further with this than maybe some of the other disappearances that you've written about. Why don't you give an, uh, the, an explanation for that, why you felt so motivated uh, to get involved and, and how did you get involved? Yeah, I, I re reported it um, when the police issued that statement in March. I got involved. I'm sorry, it was May. I got involved, or April. I'm sorry, I'm getting my dates confused. But I, I saw the post and then I did a story. I hadn't talked to the family or interviewed anyone at that point. I just did kind of a quick story. This woman is missing in Gillette. And it was published on Cowboy State Daily, which is a statewide digital news source. Um, and I noticed after I did, I think, two stories, I noticed that people aren't reading it. And typically missing person stories do really well. Mm -hmm. um, this one wasn't, people weren't showing an interest, which confused me a little bit. Um, and then when I found out about, which compelled me to write more about it, because mm -hmm. I wanted her case to get attention. Um, and then I, when I went on that first search in July and met the family and met Stacy, who was just giving, so giving of her time and energy and resources to help find her. I just got hooked. Okay. I was hooked by their passion and after meeting the family, and I, I can safely say I meet a lot of people in my line of work and the family is just, they're so kind. Yeah. And, right. and I, I wanted to do everything I could to help. Yeah, and uh, you keep mentioning uh, Stacy, and Stacy is another local in Gillette, Wyoming. Yeah, she's another local, and she just found out about Irene's story. Her name's Stacy Kester, and she just found out about Irene's stories on the internet with everybody else. And she and four women uh, just started talking. They didn't know each other prior to this, and they all decided to they kind of form this local search group, and then it grew from there. But Stacy's the only one who's still kind of, you know, it, as time has gone on, uh, Stacy's the only one who's uh, really doing it. And since then, she's also become a private investigator. Right. So you so did she, not know. Now, so you did not know Stacy before this all happened. I did not. No. Okay. How big is uh, Gillette, Wyoming? What is the population uh, of? Do you even know? <laughs> Uh, I'm guessing yeah. it's not that big of a place. No, it's about 40,000, I believe, at okay. the last census. But the, the county is enormous. And, mm -hmm. I, of course, I don't have the square the, mm -hmm. the square miles off the top of my head, but it's enormous. And it's mostly, we have seven of the, the seven open surface coal mines and four of the largest in the country. And we produce 40% of the coal for the country so it's 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 coal country out okay. there and it's on high desert plains uh and yeah. just a vast territory okay where a lot of, a, a person could easily go missing yeah especially if somebody wanted the person to go missing exactly okay all right so that's how you got involved and you just felt compelled to get involved in maybe these other disappearances, uh, the, these other disappearances you reported on, because like you said, you didn't think that Irene's was getting the attention that you thought it should. Yeah, and also, you know, this is the first time I've ever covered a case right in my town. So right. proximity played into it, too, because Wyoming, you know, to travel 
anywhere in Wyoming is a distance, but especially in the winter. Um, so I, yeah, I just got involved. And once I got on the ground, I just couldn't stop looking. So your town, uh, how close did you live? I mean, of course, you did not know Nathan and Irene when they were living together. How close did you live to them? Uh, probably about a mile. Wow, close. That hits near home, doesn't it? It's a little, yeah, cre- it's it's a little creepy. Right, it's very creepy. Yeah. And it, I think, you know, I felt for her, too. I mean, she was this, it's a, it's a story, I, I personally have moved with men, um, and it's a story where, you know, she, she trusts this person yeah. and, and enough to move and relocate her life. And assuming he did have something to do with her disappearance, mm-hmm. I, it just kind of resonated with me. Let's move on. Let's get a little deeper into to a few of these things. Uh, regarding what else is missing, uh, you're not sure about her phone, but you know we have these stories about somebody was using her phone. I guess everybody's just taken for granted that it's Nathan was doing this and that he had something to do with her disappearance. Once again, you know, reading between the lines. But have you ever heard about anything else of hers uh, being missing, like her ID, purse? Any possessions? I know we know what he said that she put clothes in a couple bags and took off, but anything of significance that is also missing besides her? Uh, Yeah, to my knowledge, Nathan has all of that. I believe the family asked for her passport back and stuff like that, and he wouldn't give them to the family. And in order for the family to get her possessions, they would have to take them to small claims court. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, in those text messages, everything stopped on, I believe it was March 4th. So there's been no communication on her phone. So the assumption is he has everything. Okay. Do we even have any, uh, have you ever heard about any ping information where phone last pinged? Or is that Um, something the police just have? The police, I'm more than sure they have that information, but they haven't shared Um, let's get a little deeper into this misunderstanding, uh, on purpose misunderstanding about where she was living. Let's just go through this again to make sure everybody understands this, uh, Jennifer, that she meets Nathan and, but did the family actually think that the two broke up? Yeah, they thought they broke up and they thought Irene moved to Phoenix. I'm sorry, I have that wrong. It was... Her address was listed as Green Valley, Arizona, which was 20 miles south of Tucson. Any idea how that became her address? Any ideas? No idea. No idea. Um, it, and I should state that after she went missing in, in March, she had a new address pop up for her. And that address was in San Antonio. Have you checked these addresses out? What are at those addresses? Um, Their homes. The one in San Antonio is a new new house, and police did ask the new owner if they knew Irene or if she had ever lived there, and they said no. They they could find no connection to her to either of those addresses. Um, and you said that her brother had mailed her something. Whatever happened to this document that he mailed to Arizona? What address was that to? That was to the Green Valley address, and it was never returned. 
So somebody, so this uh, Green Valley address, is it actually a house? Is it a business? Is it a restaurant? Is a, it's, what is it? It's a, it's a house. Both, both are residences, both the, the San Antonio and the Green Valley are both residences. All right. So somebody just randomly picked that address out of nowhere, seemingly, or something. I mean, seemingly, yeah, yeah seemingly. Um, of course, the problem, you, know, you know, the problem here, Jennifer, is that Irene was the one who gave him that address, right? Yeah, Irene gave the Green Valley address to her brother. So how would she even know about that address? I have absolutely no idea. Any insight? Well, just speculate for a little bit. Any, any insight into it all? Because I, I really, you know, just once again, I, I'm not sure what to think. But you've been doing this uh, for over a year now. Any, when you've talked to other people, maybe you've talked to Stacy or something. Any, just do a little speculating here uh, about if, about if it. I, if, if I had to speculate, I, I would, I would speculate that it might have been a person Nathan knew mm -hmm. who lived there. Right. Um, because the, after the police talked to both of the homeowners, you know, neither knew. And I contacted both of them also, but they didn't get back to me. Um, so I'm assuming it's Nathan arranged all that. And the reason I say that is it's just the control he asserted over her in general. Okay. And I, you know, I, I'm guessing, if I had to guess, that, you know, it was his idea, obviously, to move to Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And he might have, you know, given her that ruse, and by doing so, um, found the person that he knew. Um, I have no idea because the homeowner didn't get back to me if they knew Nathan. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, looked? You've looked this person up, I, I guess. Cannot find any correlation uh, between the two. That the two uh, ever lived close to each other. Maybe they're originally from, like you said, like Oroville, California, Chico, California, anything like that. No, um, they, not that I can find. Okay. All right, so she tells her family she's moving to Arizona uh, with a friend. Actually, she's moving with Nathan to Wyoming. And... Um, how long did she pull off this lie? Over a year. Yeah, in fact, she returned um, the Thanksgiving 2021. She returned for that Thanksgiving after she had already moved to Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And she took an Uber from the airport. The family said, we'll pick you up. She said, no, 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 I'll take an Uber. So came, came for Thanksgiving, stayed for the weekend, and then took an Uber back to the airport and flew back to Wyoming. Um, she, the family now in retrospect thinks that Nathan drove her, uh, they don't have any proof of this, but they, mm -hmm. they just speculated that Nathan drove her and, uh, stayed, you know, at a hotel or wherever he stayed. Right. I agree. Because, uh, I'm guessing Gillette has an airport, but I suppose yeah. you could fly from Gillette to Idaho. I guess you could. I mean, I'm sure planes go there every day. But it's surely easier if you're living in Phoenix or Tucson to fly from there to Boise than it would be from Gillette to Boise. Yeah, to fly from Gillette, you actually have, we're just a regional airport with three flights out a day, yeah. um, small planes, so just jumpers to either, uh, I, I think it just goes to 
Denver, if I'm not mistaken. So she would have been a couple flights and very expensive too to fly out of Gillette. Right. Exactly. Um, has, uh, like you said, you've been talking, you, uh, Maybe had some correspondence with Nathan before, you know, he's in jail, we'll get into that. But has Nathan ever given any explanation of why Irene said that they were, at least she was in Arizona when they were actually in Wyoming? No, not to my knowledge. I don't know what he said to the family, if he ever mm -hmm. explained that. Um, I, I did, there was a call between uh, the sister-in-law and Nathan but I don't know what that call was about, and nobody's ever told me. So I don't know if they addressed it. Okay. But to my knowledge, Nathan has never given an explanation. I guess what I'm also wondering is that uh, given that they thought that she was in Arizona and was, was at a particular address, you know, when her birthday would come, did they not send her a card or something? You know, you'd think somebody, there was only in that entire year, there was only one document that was sent by anybody who was trying to get a hold of her in that year? There was only that one tax document that was sent to that address? That yeah, that's my understanding. I think that because they all were, you know, communicating internationally and across country, I believe mm -hmm. that everything was texts and phone calls. Okay. It's a heck of a chance to take. I'm going to have to think about that. All right, so we have this address, and you know what the address is. I'm not saying you should make it public. Maybe you can... Uh, Email it to me after we're done or something, Jennifer. I'll, I'll happily take a look into it myself. But, yeah, we're not going to mention the addresses publicly. All right. Um, so we'll move on to the relationship. Once again, family perception is they had broken up. Yes. They thought that uh, Irene had put uh, Nathan in the rearview mirror. Yes. Okay. Uh, once again, I have to ask, uh, Nathan, ever give any explanation for this to your knowledge? No. None? Okay. So is your perception then that you think uh, Irene was hiding a lot from her family, her, her, her location and her relationship status? Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, and I should say that was very un irene like to be secretive with her family. Um, they were they were surprised because, you know, they're very tight-knit. And, yeah. you know, the brothers were obviously giving her a wide berth so she could, you know, grow as an individual and, and you know, spend some time on her own because, like I said, she moved from her family's, from her family home. This was her first time out on her own. Right. And they were very surprised. Right. Um, have you ever heard, uh, Irene, when she was still in Kenya, did she have any relationships? Yeah, I believe she, she did. Um, I believe she had a, a boyfriend who she was fairly serious with in Kenya, and they broke up before she moved. Okay. Uh, has her family ever given you any indications that that relationship was a little bit like this relationship? Like, where the, she uh, fell no. into, like... Uh, fell in a situation where a guy was controlling, that she was hiding things from them, anything like that? No. None. Okay. All right, moving on to Nathan's car. Do you know, uh, did he allow them to have access to his car? I believe, and I should say, there was a subsequent uh, search of Nathan's house in, this past mm -hmm. October in 2022. Okay. 
Um, and that, that was a nearly eight hour search with FBI and the police and his car was, his car was actually with a bondsman because he, he had, we haven't talked about his arrest, but he was right. out on bond. So the car, he didn't have a car, uh, um, in recent months. Uh, so I believe his car was searched. I've, I've never been told that, but I'm assuming, and I do know the FBI came back, um, the reason for that search, everything is under seal at this mm-hmm. point, uh, because this it, case has gotten so much attention, both nationally and internationally, they, the judge signed a sealed document. So everything's sealed from this point forward. Okay. Well, uh, is, is the FBI involved because she is not an American citizen? No. Um, the police, local police jurisdictions, well, as you know, they can call in whoever they want mm-hmm. to help. And they did. Um, they went right to the FBI. They they did not. We have a state police. Well, everybody has a state police, but they didn't uh, contact the state police. They went right to the FBI, and I'm assuming they wanted their advanced forensics because uh, during that search, they they took out several boxes of stuff and sent it away to the FBI lab in Virginia. Okay, so the FBI is involved to this day. To this day, yes. Okay. Now, regarding your social media presence, I've read that all of that stuff got eventually deleted by, presumably by Nathan, uh, any account she had on Facebook, anywhere else. I, I, I don't know anything about her social media accounts, mm-hmm. but probably safe to assume. Let's talk a little bit more about Nathan. You've said uh, that he's had some uh, problems with the law outside of Irene's disappearance since February of 2022. Why don't you tell the listeners about those problems? Okay. So in March, right after Irene went missing, Nathan illegally used her debit card and her credit card to purchase over, I believe it was close to 90 transactions. And one of the, the police have not said what those transactions were, but they did say that he uh, purchased a shovel, um, boots, and snow pants with her, with one of her cards. So he was arrested for those transactions. And he was uh, eventually uh, arrested on five Three were for illegal use of her credit cards and debit cards and bank accounts. And he, he basically drained her bank account and maxed out her one credit card and for a total of just under $6,000. So it wasn't a big sum of money, but lots of transactions. And they did prove that he did buy the, the shovel and the boots and the pants because they have it on Walmart video. Um, he also got her, was charged with deleting her bank, or I'm sorry, deleting her Gmail account and uh, changing one of her internet, her internet uh, passwords for her bank bank account. I guess what we're also saying here is if she went missing on her own, she didn't take her credit cards with her? Correct, yeah. And he told police the reason he did that. Yeah, so there there we have it. She she did not take that with her. And he said the reason... She, he did that was he was trying to spend all her money so she would be forced to contact him. Okay. Um, so how did this all uh, eventually pop up? Was this like a bank thing? 
that you, what, how, what, how did he exactly get caught doing these things? Do you know? I, I don't know, but I'm assuming in, during the course of their investigation, they seized his computer because all of these transactions they're able to trace to his IP address. So I believe it was a, you know, part of their forensic investigation. Um, and in the end, he did plead guilty to three of those charges. Mm-hmm. Um, use of credit card, use of her, her uh, bank debit card, and also deleting her Gmail account. Distressingly, uh, was the purchase of these boots and this shovel, like, right after she went missing? Yeah. It was all in the three weeks after she went missing. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. How much, uh, what what was the total? Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jennifer. Please uh, say that again. Please. Yeah. I was going to say, that's the one clue that the police released, and I think that was deliberate. Mm Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, they're... They will not say a word about any of the other purchases. So I, I think the fact that they released that one cryptic detail, they were kind of indicating where, in yeah. my mind, where they think this, what they think happened. Well, yeah, <laughs> not that cryptic. <laughs> right? Exactly. right, not that cryptic. Uh, exactly. darkly, darkly humorously cryptic. Um, yeah. Okay, it's very sad. Um, yeah. has the, have, do you know, have they been able to, anything that's ever leaked out about them being able to track his movements with his phone, ping information, have you tried to, uh, work the police or anybody else in getting that info? Yeah, I did, I did inquire, and the police won't tell me anything. Like I said, everything's sealed at this point also, mm-hmm. after that initial release. So they are very tight-lipped about anything that's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just give a constant refrain. This is an active case and it's under investigation. We're working it hard. Yeah. Should ask you something, maybe going back before we continue with Nathan, about Irene and this February 24th uh, talk. Uh, is that the accepted date, for example, you know, did she have class or work the next day and she didn't show up? Do we know anything about that? We do not know anything about that. All right. So the very well could be that she did go to work or school the next day, the 25th. And it very well could be she didn't disappear to like the 26th or 27th. I guess that's possible then? Possible. Possible. Okay. Because Nathan just said, told, he's very vague about it. He just, he did not give a date. He just said end of February. Right. I guess what we're also saying is that if she had this job and she had, an, you know, of course her schedule, whatever that was, did her employer or supervisor not try to call her or text her to find out, hey, Irene, why aren't you at work today? Why did you no call, no show? No news like that. No news like that, that I know of. What about, uh, let's go back, you've already mentioned that the barrel story, Where? when did this story start, uh, and this came from a neighbor? Yeah, apparently the neighbor told police that they saw him in, you know, late at night burning something in the barrel. Okay, do we know uh, what kind of barrel it was, what color it was, or he might have gotten it? Yeah, it's a 55-gallon Phillips barrel, which is very common out in Wyoming, mm-hmm. um, and I, um, and Stacy and I actually talked to a place where he might have gotten it, and they could not confirm to us that he, 
he did. Um, they they described what the man looked like to police. They would not tell us, but uh, there's a good chance that he got a, a barrel. They think they remember one of the employees remembers helping a, a man loaded into the back of a hatchback, mm-hmm. which is rare because typically people. This is what stuck out to them because we have a lot of ranchers in our community, and typically people come with pickups, which is the universal vehicle in Wyoming. And <laughs> they remembered it being strange that the, a man with a hatchback, which Nathan's car is a Subaru Crosstrek, right. which does have a hatchback. Yeah. So, and one of the employees thought he remembered loading two barrels. But they, but then again, they could not confirm it was Nathan or his vehicle. I don't know if two, two fifty-five gallon barrels would not fit in a Subaru. Would it? Would they? No, I don't. No, and these things are heavy. Yeah. I mean, the weight would be a f- fine, but I'm thinking two fifty-five gallon barrels. I mean, I'm no rancher or oil person, but they're fairly large. You'd think you'd only be able to take one of those at a time. Yeah, you you would think, and also you know, always have to keep in mind phys- Nathan's physicality. Um, he is yeah. a large man, and yeah. that, that was always one of the factors when we're searching, trying to think of what can can a large man exert this this energy to actually dig in the hard surface in February in Wyoming, and how far would he be potentially be able to carry that barrel, assuming uh, he roll didn't it. use that barrel for whatever reason. Yeah, roll it. Um, but, uh, regarding this neighbor, I guess Nathan was doing this, even though this neighbor said it was at night, but I guess this was in plain view. It was not something that Nathan necessarily was trying to hide. Uh, um, I would say he probably, it was not in plain view because he had, his backyard is fenced. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, the houses are very close together. So there's a, you know, you can look out a window right into Nathan's backyard. So you know, yes and no, I guess, because he, he does have a privacy fence. Is this However, a... saying that his his fence is in terrible shape, so there are gaps in the fence in the back. So he would be aware that it wasn't completely concealed. Did the uh, neighbor describe this? Is this like a blazing fire, like several feet in the air? How long did it burn or... Uh, anything like that, or is this just like yeah. your what you'd see any neighbor burning leaves or burning limbs and stuff? Um, to I again, I have not spoken to the neighbor, but it's my mm. understanding that she said she, she. I don't know how long the fire burned, but she mm. described kind of a the smell of meat cooking. Mm. Oh my! Not to be graphically. Okay. Ugh. All right. Okay. Um, let's go back to Nathan's prior history regarding all of this. Nothing in, uh, you've been able to track down regarding his history that would lead you to believe that he would be capable of something like this. I mean, uh, Uh, any, uh, did he have any ex-girlfriends, anything like that? Well, and this is, this is a credit to Stacy. She tracked this, this down but um, she was able to contact, and I don't, I, I don't remember how she found this person, but it was a former co-worker of Nathan's, and they were working at, I want to say at and I'm not positive about that, and he had really sexually harassed her uh, to the point where she had followed 
I'm sorry, he had followed her home to her house, and it, it got to the point where she turned it into HR, and HR basically did nothing, um, and she later sued the company mm -hmm. and won a settlement. Uh, um, it, but she signed a non-disclosure agreement, so she's not able to tell us any of the details. Oh. But one of her co-workers was, and one of her friends and co-workers was around to witness that. And the harassment was pretty bad. Like he told her she was eating lunch, and he said, "You know, I'd like to get those." Clothes. Yeah, we oh, we got it. we got it. We keep this you know? try to we try yeah. to keep this PG here, Jennifer. We got it. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Okay. <laughs> but so. So he does have that that history. There, there was at least one person who he sexually harassed to the point where she sued, she successfully sued the company. Okay. All right. So there's that. Uh, does he ever find any records? Did he have any kids? Ever been married before? Never been married before. Um, no kids that I could find. Um, and uh, I don't know. I know. I talked. To, I spoke to one of his former girlfriends. Um, so he at least had one girlfriend that I know of, and he had a longtime high school girlfriend, yeah. who again Stacy interviewed. But she is really uh, she didn't want anything to do with this. I guess she had said he was abusive, both physically and emotionally, and she just was very afraid of him still. So he does have a history. Okay. Uh, once he, uh, so he's in jail, what, what, uh, we know what the charges are. How long is he going to be in jail? Once again, these are things, I guess, technically not having anything to do with Irene's disappearance, but how long is he going to be in jail? What, what's the sentence? He was, he was sentenced three to six years, so probably two, the way the legal system works, mm. um, but technically three to seven, or I'm sorry, three to six years, and he, ha he has to... He's ordered to pay seven thousand in restitution to Irene's mm. family, I believe, mm -hmm. um, since she's missing. And uh, he currently, the, the, we were actually very surprised that he was sentenced to jail because typically for this type of financial crime, it's you get pro, you get supervised probation. Um, and his his lawyer, who he has a public defender, defender, tried to argue that. Um, Nathan was actually a victim because so many people, if you look on social media, are just blatantly believe he did it. Mm -hmm. So they're not kind. Um, so his, his lawyer tried to argue that the judge was swayed based on all of this information on social media, and the judge said that's ridiculous. But the lawyer is appealing. Nathan has an appeal in to the Supreme Court. And it's due, his filing, his brief is due on uh, November 26th. All right, when you say the so Supreme Court, you mean of Wyoming? Correct, yeah, yeah. the Wyoming Supreme okay. Court. All right. So he's, he's appealing his sentence. Mm. Even so, I guess when you say out maybe two years, that could be like later next year or something. Yeah, it could be. Okay. Uh, being that he went to jail, uh, did Irene's family get her stuff back? I believe they have not gotten anything back yet. But I'd, I'd have to check with them for to be certain. But it's my understanding that I don't know where all that stuff is. But I don't believe they've gotten anything back. Okay. 
What's this been like for you, uh, Jennifer? Of course, you're a reporter. You've been reporting on disappearances, but you uh, have gotten a little more involved in this one than uh, the others. What's this been like for you? Um, it's, I, I, like I said, I've never been this personally involved in a case, so it's it, it's been really intriguing and frustrating at the same time um, because, it, you, you know, it, the evidence is pretty heavy, <laughs> so it's it, it's frustrating to see that the wheels of justice are taking this long, assuming, you know, everybody's presumed innocent, but in this case, it seems like he's pretty guilty, but um, it's just a little frustrating to be, you know, kind of not see justice for the family. How does this compare to uh, some of the other disappearances uh, that you've covered uh, as far as being frustrated or mysterious? How does this all compare? Well, actually, I have to say that I kind of always have this feeling. Um, in this case, I, I've become very close to the family, so I, I think I've got kind of a, a, a deeper sense of a need for justice on this one just because, like I said, they're such fine people, and I, it's it's so sad to me. So I, I guess I'll just, just a little bit more frustrating. Yeah. Um, where do you think this goes from here? How, uh, how, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing at this point, being that this is all that I do, I realize now that a year and a half after disappearance, uh, the information trickling out can get very few and far between. So what's the next step for you? in reporting on this and working on this uh, when you can. Of course, I realize you have other news to report on there in Wyoming. Well, you know, what's next for you on this? Um, next, I'll be covering the Supreme Court filing, and that'll be later this month. So that'll be my next reporting, unless, of course, an arrest is made. All right. Uh, has there ever been, maybe I should ask you this, uh, regarding this, if we're to believe, we don't like to do theorizing on Unfound, uh, but we just can't, I'm not uh, going to be uh, so ignorant as to not realize how this all shakes out, and I know what the listeners are thinking, I know what you are thinking regarding this disappearance, but has there ever been any allegations that uh, Nathan could have had any assistance in this? We're talking about, you know, here's what we're talking about, we're talking course the disappearance woman we're talking about maybe even two barrels we're talking about burning we're talking about things missing uh any allegations that he could have had assistance in this nothing that i've heard um i do know he had he has one close friend um and the close friend has since stopped communicating with them and the reason i know that is i communicated with nathan when he was in our local jail and he had asked me to do him a couple favors. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the favors was to reach out to his friend and ask him to contact him because, quote, his life is in danger. Um, the friend did not get back to him. And I know that because Nathan wrote me a letter from prison saying he did not hear back from his friend. So uh, I don't know if that friend had anything to do with it. But I do know that this is a guy with not many friends. And he's, he's not close to his family. So I, I, I think he's kind of got, has no one at this point. Your contact, uh, we'll, we'll just try to keep this as minimum as possible. Uh, you're just, uh, your contact with Nathan being that you brought it up. Uh, how would you describe him? 
Um, I, very polite, uh, very evasive, polite. Um, mm. In the letter he wrote me from prison, he was, you know, he's losing everything, obviously, because you cannot pay your bills from prison. And so he was, you know, basically going to be bankrupt and has lost his house, his car, everything he owns. Um, there was no, I had asked him, and I wrote him back and said, well, where do you think Irene is? And I asked him about the barrel, but he has not written me back to answer those questions. And he, he's lamented also the fact that it's really hard, apparently, to get a stamp in prison. And so he had to chain, trade a meal with one of his cellmates or somebody in prison to get a stamp to be able to write me back. He's really um, so pulling on your heartstrings, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, would you say his writing, educated, smart guy? Yeah, what would very, you say? Very articulate, very, uh, very well spoken, and perfect grammar. Wow. So, and that was one of the I know a former girlfriend had said because you kind of and and I don't know how to say this politely, but. When you look at Nathan, you wouldn't think he's the Casanova type. Um, and one of his former girlfriends, I kind of delicately asked what drew her to Nathan. And she said the fact that he's, he's a great listener and he's really smart. And I would say that's reflected in his writing. Okay. Where can everybody go to find out more about your work, where you're working, uh, your, you know, what you've written about this over the last, let's just say the last year, and uh, Facebook page, website, uh, any of that regarding Irene's disappearance. Please give that information out right now. Okay, they can go to wyomingtruth.org. And I, if you just do a search on the site for Irene and Nathan Heitman, you will see, I, I have done an exhaustive uh, series on both of them. I looked into both of their backgrounds, talked to friends. So the, the Heitman story is five different stories about some of the stuff we've discussed. And also Irene, uh, I did a three-part series on her. I did a series on Stacey Kester. And just, you can follow everything. It's up to date with the latest development. Okay. And do, does the family have a Facebook page set up for her disappearance? Do you have that there? Yeah, it's Find Irene Gatla. And there's Facebook. a couple different pages. Um, but if, it, it, I think help, uh, Find Irene Gatla is the one run by her sister-in-law. And there's also a website. And I believe the website is where is Irene Gakla? Dot com. Yeah, dot com. Okay. Jennifer, any final words before we complete this interview? I think that's all. That's pretty comprehensive. <laughs> that's that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. And I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Well, thank you so much for covering it and helping to spread the word. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. And that concludes the first interview I did for the disappearance of Irene Gakwa. Now find part two on your podcast application to hear my interview with Stacy Kester, independent investigator and friend of the Gakwa family. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unfound.